Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. You've got uh, your host Jim Ventura here. Thank you for joining me. If you're uh, listening live and you want to uh, comment or ask questions, you can do that in our chat room or in about 10 minutes or so into the show. I'm going to give you a phone number if you want to call and talk to me directly. I welcome any comments, uh, questions, things like that. In fact, uh, even if someone wants a free five-minute little mini-reading, we'll be open to doing that as well, too, in about 10 or 15 minutes once I get through my original column material. Okay, that said, again, I hope anyone who's uh, catching me uh, today is having a good day for the most part. Um, if it's your first time tuning into Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio, uh, my name is Jim Ventura. I am a writer. Um, I am also a uh, oracle reader, soothsayer, depending on what your terminology is. I kind of tend to steer away from the word psychic. I think it has too many connotations of, um, uh, I don't know, it's just not one of my favorite words in that sense because I don't really necessarily conceive of myself as a psychic, although some people might see me that way. Uh, I follow the old school of of, uh, of oracle reading, and you know, oracles being tarot cards and astrology and numerology and rune stones and and all that good stuff that I have really developed some expertise in over the years. So uh, personally, when I, I counsel and work with people directly, I do use oracles at many points to help guide and and uh, give them insight into the creation of their own realities in that sense, which is the point I like to really, really bring up repeatedly when I work with people that we are not victims of fate. We are really, in essence, in many ways, the creators of our own experience. And what oracles are really good at doing is, and I'm good at doing, is helping people to tune into what kind of process we're creating and whether we, you know, really can either to accept some of the process that we go through or, you know, have the wisdom to change and shift the things that we can. And often, there's a lot of things we can shift and change accordingly. So, again, uh, I do do private uh, counseling work with people. Uh, if anyone wants more information, they can check out my website. I'll give some more info on that. I'm also an author. I'm in the process of publishing my second book, which would uh, appropriately be titled Snake Oil, Volume 1, which is a collection of all of my um, columns that I have been writing over the last five years or so. So it's the first volume of all that good stuff, and uh, I have been doing my uh, snake oil column for a little over five years now, and a little over a year ago, I started doing the radio show. So what I do, uh, I do two radio shows a month. Uh, first show is usually the first Tuesday of the month, and I usually read my column, and then I talk a little bit about the subject matter and anything else that kind of comes to mind, and then open the uh, forum for callers. And then the second uh, show I do each month, I'll always do two, will be the second or the third Tuesday of the month, and I do a live interview show, and I do want to tell you guys a little bit about that later on also, because I've got some interesting, I've always had some interesting uh, uh, interviews, and I've really got a real interesting one coming up this coming, uh, next Tuesday actually, on the 9th of uh, June. Anyway, so let's, uh, let me go back and let me let me talk about uh, and read to you my monthly column. 
Um, by the way, I'm going to read you the column like I always do. Uh, if anybody wants to receive the column monthly, uh, it is a free service. You can just email me at VenturaSage at Yahoo.com or VenturaWords at Mac.com, and I'll add you to my mailing list so you can get the column directly. But uh, what I did this month, is, you know, I took a, I've been on vacation for a bit of the time, so whenever, uh, maybe every three or four columns, I end up kind of running a repeat of an old column, which is one of the nice things about having done a column for a while. I do have a lot of old, good columns that uh, most people who are new to getting on my mailing list or catching my radio show have not actually heard. So I ran a, an old column from about two and a half years ago called Wacky Neighbors, Sacred Clowns. And uh, definitely one of my favorite columns, and I'm going to read that again here, and then I'll talk a little bit about this, and then again I'll give you the call-in number if anybody is uh, wanting to uh, comment or ask any questions or even even to uh, have a free little five-minute question answered as well on their own personal life. So let's again dive right into the, the topic, which is again, Wacky Snake Oils, Wacky Neighbors, Sacred Clowns. I decided to subject myself to a marathon of Nick at Night shows. I have to admit, I did find myself laughing more than I thought I would at some of the antics of the characters on the shows from the 70s and the 80s. It seemed that the major concurrent theme of the shows that night were about wacky neighbors. I went from good times obnoxious chubby neighbor Mr. Bookman to the street smart wisecracking Wilona. The lineup followed with family ties where young and dumb Skippy was hopelessly in love with Alex P. Keaton's lovely sister. The silliness continued with Three's Company's odd neighbors, the Ropers. Later episodes of the series featured an old, badly dressed, wannabe womanizer named Mr. Furley. He was comically played by Don Knotts. All the characters seemed to be a combination of both realistic and exaggerated caricatures of human behavior. I began to reflect on past neighbors that I've encountered in the many places I've lived. Who hasn't had some weird characters play a part, for good or bad, in the series we call our lives? When I was a child, we had the welfare neighbors who lived for a few years on our block. These characters included an obese mother and a frequently drunk husband who constantly screamed at their three kids and probably hit them as well. When I was 11, we witnessed these parents fighting outside their home. The battle occurred because the wife dropped a six-pack of bottled beer. In a blind rage, the husband ran over his own garbage pails while racing back to the store to get more of his lifeblood. My friends and I howled with laughter at this outrageous show. As an adult, looking back on this incident, it seems less funny and more tragic now. Back in 1993, I lived in Chandler, Arizona. I had another drunken neighbor who lived alone and polished off bottles of Crown Royal at a record-breaking pace. He once accidentally shot a bullet from his gun while cleaning it right into my apartment wall. Thankfully, I was not home when this incident occurred. In his guilt, he offered me some of the countless fabric Crown Royal bags that originally held his liquor. They made excellent containers for my many oracles. In the same apartment complex, I often dodged the nosy, elderly martyr who lived next door to me. She always knew what was going on with everyone in the complex, including me. 
She was a useful eye for watching my home when I was away, but often attempted to trap me into long conversations when I was usually carrying bags of melting groceries into my apartment. Her outside patio was decorated tastefully, and she often sat there where she could painfully subject me to long stories about how, how her adult children were mistreating her. She was a classic victim and was often outraged by everyone else's behavior. Who hasn't lived next door to a Mrs. Kravitz, from Bewitched, by the way, type at one time or another? My current condominium home has had its fair share of characters. Last year, one of my neighbors, whose stairwell is covered in wooden logs and assortment of lights, must have had some of his art stolen from him. For weeks, we were graced with the sign at the front of his stairway suggesting to passerbys that they quote-unquote, don't touch my shit. I'm guessing that the majority of my neighbors were equally embarrassed by this ridiculous sign. We also had a friendly, crazy, retired older man who walked around with a loaded gun tucked into his belt. This is baby soul stuff here for my Michael students. This man recently informed me that he was taking care of two mother cats and nine kittens. He needed to find homes for the cats in his apartment. A few days later, he moved out of his apartment and left all the cats outside. He believed they would eventually wander away. I was stunned by this action. Eleven cats would not just wander away. They would end up under people's cars, be mistreated by sociopaths, and reproduce in record numbers. My complex looked like it had been raining cats. Cats were everywhere. Being an animal lover, I found myself weeping when I thought about what would likely happen to these poor animals. My outrage increased when I witnessed a neighbor throwing rocks to get them to go away. It took tremendous restraint for me not to act in an impulse to put the rock thrower and the crazy gun-toting cat abandoner in their place. I tell them what I thought of their cruel actions of punching their lights out. An interesting development occurred during this cat crisis, though. Many of my neighbors pulled together to feed the cats and attempt to find homes for them. Eventually, we had the Humane Society set traps, the traps actually don't harm the animals, to take them to the animal shelters. What I observed from most of my neighbors was genuine caring and compassion. I was even able to turn the rock thrower around by explaining to him that cats and dogs are domestic animals. We as a species domesticated them and it is our responsibility to care for them. In some ways, they are like children. To abandon them or treat them cruelly is a mistake fraught with karmic repercussions. The ex-rock thrower, ex thrower inevitably helped with the cats in a productive way. Almost all of my neighbors pulled together to resolve the problem. In the process, we got to know each other. I found myself getting moved when I saw the level of kindness surrounding me. We have no real control of the characters who make guest appearances on our life stage. We will meet neighbors who benefit our lives while others seem only to present us with challenges. As tempting as the idea might be, we can't realistically run off and live in the mountains away from other human beings. From the beginning of our lives, we participate in the socialization process. This begins with siblings, cousins, neighbors, and other family members. The process becomes even more complex when we enter school. 
In one way or another, we deal with neighbors as a huge part of our experience in the physical plane. I choose to see the more bizarre neighbors that cross my path as Hayahokas. In the Native American tradition, they are the sacred clowns, the mocking shadows of the creator God. In Lakota tradition, they are like Iktomi, the spider, who is a supernatural spirit that deceives everyone, or at least tries. But as Lakota tradition explains, Iktomi always makes mistakes. He inevitably reveals his true nature. He may even bring us laughter through his foolish acts. Some of the more bizarre neighbors I've encountered seem almost cartoonish in their behavior. It's as if they're going out of the way to be a stereotype or a caricature. I figure, if someone wants to live their life as a cartoon, I can choose to see the humor in their actions and laugh at these sacred clowns. Hell, it's often a free show and far less expensive than cable television. Okay, so there's my column. Uh, I wrote this column initially back in uh, December of '06, and you know I do remember the cat incident with the man dropping off all the cats. Uh, really occurred in about September or October of '06. Um, definitely an, an interesting experience to say the least. Not the most pleasant one, and we did we had to have the uh, you know the cats kind of trapped. Um, unfortunately, I found out later that in more cases than not, the older cats were probably put down. Um, the kittens, some of them may have potentially been adopted. Um, I think the situation is probably even far worse now uh, with the issue with the economy, with, with cats and dogs being in shelters. Probably even more people have abandoned them in that sense. So that definitely, to me, is a bummer. Uh, but on a, a more positive note, um, you know, thankfully, uh, that uh, while there are a few stray cats bobbing around here and there, I have never seen the cat issue in such epic proportions as I did at, th- at that time a few years ago. Um, so, yeah, again, the point I, I kind of made in, in my column is, you know, I think we we get bombarded by all different types of people. I mean, it's unavoidable to not have neighbors. And I think this could not only be an, an effect we obviously deal with in our home environments, in neighborhoods, but of course, you know, in your work environment, even within the structure of your family, your friendships, there always seems to be some amusing characters that kind of come up along the way. You know, and, and one of the focuses that I try to to stay with in that sense is, you know, when it comes to the more difficult people that occasionally come into our our show, so to speak. You know, I always try to focus on the humor element. In fact, I've said this in previous columns, I've said this in previous shows, and I often remind my clients of this. You know, humor is a very, very useful and powerful tool in its ability to help us puncture the the sacred cows that we hold on to so diligently. Um, You know, we all have lines in the sand of what we won't put up with and, and tolerate, and I certainly think that that's a good and healthy thing to have. But I think that, you know, when it comes to seeing the humor in other people's actions, it does really free us, um, and, and also even the humor in our own actions and the mistakes that we also make along the way, because we may be seen as irritating characters to other people at times as well. I know I have a very, very good friend now who is a very much an eternal optimist, 
and she has I, I go to breakfast with a few fa- friends and family on, on Sunday mornings generally and uh she has begun to join us, and she is one of those type of people who uh, just endlessly always sees the more positive side of things, very, very uplifting, positive, spiritual human being, wonderful characteristics. But, you know, a couple of my friends, one in particular, kind of has started getting irritated with her endless optimism and, and positive disposition. So uh, it's interesting to watch the dynamic between the two of them. Um, this other friend that I mentioned, she leans a little bit more toward the cynical side, and you can tell she can't deal with uh, our, the new edition's endless um, uh, uplifting perspective on things. You know, I have to kind of laugh because uh, I would I would have to question, you know, reaching a point in your life when what irritates you is to be around someone who's too positive in that sense. Uh because uh, I, you know, I can't completely disagree with my one friend in that sometimes she's overwhelming, looking at everything as if it's like you know, um, the sun, the moon, and the stars. But you know, I, I kind of like this element, and and you know, what's funny is I think I have been seen that way often by other people. Strangely enough, too, with someone who always kind of sees the more optimistic, positive side of things. Although I certainly have my realist and slight cynical side that pops up from time to time. But again, I think I do that more from a humor perspective. Um, So I'm going to continue to talk on this subject and a few other things that have been going on, even about some astrology issues. But I do want to throw the uh, phone number out if anybody wants to call in live and has a comment, a question uh, about what we're talking about today or even, you know, something in their own life that they they want me to, you know, comment on and see if I can uh, pull an oracle on. You know, any any mini readings I do, of course, live, I'm going to try to keep to about five minutes. The show is only 45 minutes, so I don't want to get caught in, um, in, in too long a uh, discussion with people, but certainly we can get some brief insight for you. Uh, so the guest call-in number is 646-200-3966. Again, 646-200-3966. I will give that number out in a little while. Again, uh, you also can comment or, uh, you know, uh, make any type of question or comment in the uh, chat room as well, too. But be aware that any comments or questions posed in the chat room, I'm going to answer on air. I'm not going to pause to type when I am uh, trying to host a radio show. Okay, so that said, back to the... uh, subject matter at hand. So, yeah, um, I think, you know, one of the reasons I had, had written the column is, I, you know, I, I think at times I have had more than my share of, of strange characters show up. So that would have to lead me to look at an issue within myself, because um, we do reflect back you know, the people that, that come into our lives, in essence, for the most part, are reflecting attributes or characteristics of ourselves. Now, I think in the case when you get someone that's extremely obnoxious or theatrical or extreme as a neighbor or friend or someone around you, often they're taking an attribute that we may have and then maybe exaggerating it times a thousand. So, you know, keep that in mind in case you you you... you hear this perspective and think, oh, my God, the woman that works next to me in my office who who drives me nuts and never stops talking uh, is nothing like me. Well, again, she may actually be, just in that she is, again, playing out characteristics 
that you're either looking at rejecting in yourself or even potentially accepting in yourself. You know, I often I often tell people that this this idea that the people around us reflect attributes or characteristics back to us is far more of a significant and accurate theme than people would imagine. Because on the on the good side, um, well, let's start with the bad side. On the bad side, we may not like some of the more difficult people that we encounter along the way in our lives. Uh, but on the good side, we may not like it because it's going to bring things up in us that we have to potentially battle with. Um, you know, and often, sometimes the people that uh, that come up are, um, again, it's, it's patterning that's stuck within our own psyche. For instance, like when I talk about the Mrs. Kravitz type of personality, the nosy neighbor, um, that's not the first time I've ever encountered somebody like that. I've had that even when I was a kid. There were nosy neighbors and people like that. And for myself, when I look at the reflected quality back, there have been times in my life when I've kind of put my nose into circumstances or situations a little more than maybe I should have. Thankfully, it's not an extremely problematic characteristic of my own, but it has been something that I can honestly say I have done too at times. Um, Sometimes we're nosier than we know. On a positive note, we also are drawn to people who reflect the good characteristics back to us in that sense. Um, For instance, in the most obvious way, you know, if you fall in love with a a woman, a man, you know, depending on what your sexual orientation is and all that, when you fall for someone um, because you see that they're beautiful, really in some ways they're reflecting the beauty within yourself. Now, they may be more beautiful, less beautiful, just as beautiful in a different way, but more often than not, again, if you're perceiving them as more beautiful, it's because you have beauty in yourself that you may not be able to see. So by being pulled to someone who is beautiful in that respect, we're, we have the potential to open up the door to that element within ourselves. Now, you know, I couldn't possibly be more literal about this, and I, I really want to, to, I think this is a good thing to kind of talk about and explain, because in a very, very positive sense, we can gain things from the people around us if we're open to this idea that we do potentially not only mirror attributes to each other, but also can trigger elements within us, again, in both in a good and bad sense. You know, some years ago, I had dated someone who was very, very, very good looking. And I was drawn to him for that very reason that I didn't really believe I was attractive and at a very practical level, he did help me to kind of groom and take better care of myself and dress better and all those things. And one of the things that happened in the relationship, uh, it, it kind of ran its course, and then the relationship ended. I wrote about this a bit in my first book, Dirty Little Secrets. But I think one of the things that was somewhat upsetting to him is I kind of was learning from the master, and then I equaled the master, if not beat him in the sense in that uh, I really polished my level of physical comeliness in that sense. And I noticed that I actually became better looking the more I was around somebody like this. Now, one thing I can absolutely tell you is, you know, I mean, most people would say I'm a fairly attractive human being to begin with. I never perceived myself to be that way when I was younger. So this definitely helped trigger um, more of a sense of confidence. And I think that a big element of beauty is internal confidence that shows outwardly. 
aside from, you know, perfect, quote-unquote, physical characteristics. But the difference is, when I was around him, rather than resent his being what I believe to be more attractive than me, I just loved it. I, I thought it was a wonderful characteristic. I was happy to have him in my life in that sense. Um, he obviously saw beauty in me as well, and that opened me up for a transformation. Now, when we're around someone who has a characteristic that we believe we don't have and we resent them, we may literally never really grow into that characteristic or allow that to come forth because we fight that element so much. Um, that element of greed in, in the most negative of sense can, can really, really throw us off in a way that, that's blocking because we have anger or we have resentment about it. We won't allow it to, to surface inside of us. Or we think that they're taking a bigger piece of our pie. And again, nothing could be further from the truth in the universe. I mean, I've noticed this in other areas. The, the people, when I've, I've hung around with people who are making money and are successful, I find that I tend to start making money or be more successful. Um, uh, when I hang out with spiritual people, my spirituality grows. We rub off on each other in that sense. So there, there really is something to this. Even if you, you look at an astrology chart as an example, your astrology chart, if you look at the 11th house in your astrology chart, this is our, our hopes and dreams, our group associations, and our friendships. Um, in this area of our life, when we look at the type of friends and the type of people and the type of ideals we're attracted to, we often do tend to kind of bring ourselves around like-minded people uh, because we're reflecting back these characteristics or I mean, these perceptions of life and how we think life should be and what we value and um, in terms of an ideal society or way to be in the world. Now, this gets even more direct when you look at an astrology chart in terms of looking at a seventh house placement because your seventh house in your chart represents your partner, your direct partner, the, mirror, the direct mirror image that we see. In fact, very fascinating thing to do if you have your astrology chart done, and that is something that I do professionally. Um, you can see what it, what type you're attracted to, what 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 you tend to marry, what you tend to look for in a partner. So, in a good sense, when you look at this, it, it really kind of rings home as to what you you tend to go for. But it can also show where we have growth and change and, and difficulty or potential harmony in a chart as well, too. And that's kind of bringing this back around to one of the points I had made within this column about the difficult people that come our way. You know, I've used this expression many, many times before, consider the uses of adversity, and, you know, there is really some great benefit at times to being challenged by someone. Even if the challenge is not necessary that we fight another human being, because more often than not I would suggest that we don't do that, but sometimes our challenge is just acceptance, the recognition that someone is the way that they are because um, they, they've had you know, certain conditions and experience that have led them to be that way. And so that it, you know, the opportunity and the challenge of someone being difficult can also be an opportunity for us to release judgment, to not get caught in the grip of deciding that we're better than another person. Um, it's it, it's much healthier to perceive that we're simply different. You know, the when I when I wrote in the column about the the guy who um, shot his gun through my wall one day while cleaning it, 
you know, it was difficult to deal with him, I remember when I lived there, because it wasn't that he wasn't a nice guy, but, you know, we, we had someone who was an alcoholic who was often drunk. And, you know, thankfully he was a relatively fun drunk when I would talk with him. Uh, but, you know, when I when I think of a drunk who then is obsessed with guns, that can get a little bit more unnerving. So it was a little bit scary at times knowing he had all these guns next door and that he was drinking heavily and uh, again, even when he shot the uh, gun through my wall, he was so upset about that. I wasn't home. I had a dog at the time, and I think his big concern was that it, you know the bullet could have potentially hurt me or my dog. You know, thankfully, it, neither of those things were the case in that sense. But you know what I I got from that? Uh, I can't even remember his name honestly. It was it was a good twelve years ago, so I couldn't even tell you what his name is at this point. Although I do still have a few of the Crown Royal bags uh, that I keep some of my oracles in. Um, but uh, he was a challenge for me to accept this type of fearful personality. And I I may have mentioned this on, on previous shows that when people have addiction issues, addiction in and of itself is a mask of, of something that they're resisting or an element within the self that is unhealed. So, for instance, let me, give you, let me go through some of those, those, those basic addiction uh, themes and issues. For instance, alcohol. People who drink too much, people who are alcoholics, are, in essence, very fearful people. Alcohol acts temporarily as liquid courage. So you'll even hear this in songs and things like that, and, you know, and witness the alcoholic who suddenly gets brave and says, gets strong and wants to fight you now or tells you that they can drive their car. Because this is one of the things that, that too much alcohol will do. It will, again, it will act as liquid courage. So then we look at the, the psyche of the person who drinks too much. So if they're needing liquid courage, it must mean that they're not very courageous. So unfortunately, the problem with with, with you know, using substances is they only work temporarily and then you're left even more distraught afterwards in that sense. So, uh, and one thing I want to point out, I'm going to continue on with this little list, but one thing I want to point out is that, you know, in in moderation, all things in moderation, in moderation, having a drink here and there, honestly, I'll tell you, none of this is a crisis. Um, to me, you know, if you have a glass of wine with dinner sometimes, you go out once a twice a week and you you know you have a couple of drinks you obviously don't drive you know and you play it safe that way i had to tell you i i see nothing wrong with this i'm not a big drinker myself um it's not really my thing but uh, i do have a glass of wine or a beer on occasion um i have no issue with it so again all things in moderation so what, what i'm when i'm talking about these addiction elements i'm talking about it in extremes so a few of the other you know common addictions are of course sugar you know, people are addicted to sugar because they feel unlovable. Sugar makes the psyche believe that it is love-worthy in that sense. Uh, many of us have programming from childhood. You know, when mom or dad can't give you love and affection, a lot of times they give you a sweet. I, I had this very much within my own family. Um, my mother had some difficulty with affection, so we did get our sweets, we did get our sugar. And it definitely is an area where at times I have had to kind of battle a little bit of that, that pull. Um, so this can go even deeper that, you know, diseases like diabetes and things like that really reflect this element back um, in a physical way that, that is going on within the psyche. Chocolate, 
reflects the same element. Back, of course, we have sweetness, but it also has to do with um, uh, it, it masks um, sexual energy. Um, you know, this, I don't think there. I think most women get this quite quite comfortably. There's an uh, there's a trigger release when you eat chocolate in that sense. It's very very similar uh, to uh, again feeling you know intimacy energy in that sense as well. Uh, so you know, chocolate addiction of course is going to lean itself toward you know a, a sexual addiction without actually having the sex. Uh, okay, what's the other things? Let me think of a few other ones. Um, caffeine. Caffeine ends up being a mask for everything. In fact, it's one of the reasons why caffeine is such a common thing in this culture that people crave it so much because it masks all the fe- it masks fear, it masks feel of being lovable, it ma- you know it masks a number of things. That's one of the reasons why caffeine is such a strong pull in this society in the present time and place. Marijuana masks sadness. So people who are heavy marijuana smokers often are masking a sense of sadness, inequity in the world, uh, you know, difficulty in general. Often you have very, very sensitive souls who may smoke pot to excess because of issues relating to sadness from their past or their present that they have difficulty um, coming to terms with. I remember a friend of mine years ago um, uh, once asked me if I wanted to smoke some happy. And I looked at him tw- kind of, you know, twice, and I thought to myself, what? It was? And he said, you know, do you want to get smoke pot? <laughs> and I, I had a laugh because I'd never really referred to someone, call it happy. Uh, but a- again, in essence, that, that makes some sense. So there's a lot of misperception about this with children and, and people in general when they become chronic pot smokers. And again, you know, as I've stated before, I do follow the philosophy of all things in moderation. I think that, you know, if this is something you do once in a blue moon, who cares? You know, I mean, this is not the crisis of the century here. Uh, again, we run into problems when we get into addiction issues. So those are a couple of them. There, there's a number of other things we, we could ask about in terms of what it, what it masks. But I think, it again, it kind of brings up a very, very valuable point that way that we often do try to mask or put down elements within ourselves, or again, we are, we're likely to look for substitutes to replace the things that we feel we're missing. So in a larger context, we see this happening, of course, with the people that we pull into our lives. You know, in, in some ways, I have to also say that, you know, you, if you really stand back and analyze this, if you always had ease and you didn't have uh, some difficult people to deal with from time to time, we might say that would be our ideal, but the truth of it is I think we would get bored. I do think we need an occasional push, a shove in one direction or another. Um, we need to fall in love. We need to uh, get angry with people once in a while. These are natural elements within the human experience that I think are you know, certainly not to be missed. But I think we also can move up in some ways to a more enlightened perspective when we look at the, the the difficult people, the sacred clowns that come our way, and um, and look at you know why they're necessarily in in our life, um, again both the quote unquote good ones and the bad ones, because they they always have something to teach us, you know always 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 have something to teach us. So I think when we're, we're less likely to resist what it is that they're attempting to teach us and be open to getting a message about whether they are reflecting a characteristic 
in ourselves, or, you know, in some cases, it's even more simple than that. Sometimes there are difficult people around us that we just have to come to a recognition that we're just simply not compatible with. You know what I mean? And and this doesn't make that person wrong. I, for instance, uh, do not have any friends. I mean, I have a few family members and certainly some clients who are this way, but I don't have any real close friends that are extremely religious um, at all. It, it absolutely doesn't exist for me. I have friends that are spiritual in, in different stages of, of spiritual development. Um, I have even some friends that might consider themselves belonging to a certain religion, but you know, typically they are far more alternative in thought and expansive and use that religious input, in essence, as a base. So... But it doesn't mean that religious people are wrong in any way. It just simply, to me, is not something that I see as um, a a comfortable structure for me to be very, very closely involved with. Um, I myself came out of a religious upbringing. It's just not something that I necessarily follow. I, I think religion is fine for certain people. They kind of like the ritual, they like the ceremony, they like the structure. Um, so again, I, I don't perceive it as a negative, but again, it's not really something that's all that workable for me because I would find that they might find the way I perceive things as offensive. What's actually really funny in a completely different context is, you know, because I, I write this monthly column, I, I certainly do make references to to God, um, I usually use the words "all that is" or the Tao, spelled T-A-O, in my reference to God. Sometimes I steer away from the word God because of the connotations a lot of people have toward it. But obviously, as a as a writer and as a teacher and as a spiritual counselor, I am a spiritual person. I certainly do believe in God. In fact, I don't even think it's an issue of belief. To me, it's an accepted part of life as much as I would accept air. So I. I never really question the idea of a higher intelligence or a higher spirit. And what's funny is I have had times when people who are very religious people who have read my column got irritated with something that I said because they thought I was being anti-religious or, or you know, anti-God in that sense. And then I've also had a couple of atheists along the way who, who got upset with something I wrote in my column because they thought that I was too religious. So I find this very, very fun because... In essence, that makes me think that I end up being sort of a sacred clown for them in that sense because I trigger them to either grow or to get angry in that sense as well. So I always find um, my my atheist readers uh, often will get a little irritated with me because I think they uh, they they find my my God references a little overwhelming. But you know, one of the things I like to point out as a writer and as a teacher is I am. You know, I am not a malleable lump of clay for you to uh, maneuver into what you, uh, in essence, uh, think I should be. I am who I am, and uh, the the perspectives that I have toward life are from years of study and experience. And I'm always growing and I'm always learning, but I have acquired a fair amount of wisdom. And along that way, yeah, you know, to me, the the God concept is is a very real thing. I just think that. You know, there's so much misperception of what that is uh, that that comes through in in both capacities. Now we're actually down to our last five minutes. 
I didn't get any callers today. Uh, big difference. The last show I did, I was bombarded with callers. The show has been relatively quiet, which is probably fine because for any of my listeners, uh, maybe you just needed to sit back and kind of listen to what I talked about. Um, always know that the shows will go to archive, so if you don't catch it live, you can always listen to any of the shows on archive. Um, I want to mention two things before I kind of get ready to sign off here. One uh, first thing is I'm not going to be able to take callers now anyway, so I'm not going to give you that number. We just won't have the time. But I want to mention these two things. One is that uh, we just, in the last couple of days, came out of a three, three-and-a-half-week Mercury retrograde. Uh, this is astrological talk here. Mercury was started off going backwards retrograde in Gemini, and then it moved back into Taurus within the first week of its retrograde. So it brought up a lot of issues for people about security and stability and what you value and money and finances and what your comfort level is and what you feel is right, you know, issues relating to integrity and, and, and ownership and all those good things that are very, very much Taurian or second house and theme in relation to astrology. So now that it's moved forward, um, we have this new opportunity in that sense to kind of get our, our finances, our practicality on track. So if you went through any experiences, you know, of looking back over financial issues, security issues, having any, you know, any difficulty that way, just to let you know that's pretty normal for a Mercury retrograde in Taurus. Um, specifically also, you know, Mercury retrogrades themselves tend to kind of mess communication up or sometimes bring back old thought patterns or old issues that need to be looked at or, uh, you know, sometimes even people from the past resurface. Uh, but Mercury rules communication and expression, so it can kind of mess with your head, so to speak, for a few weeks. Uh, in fact, I have this theory that uh, every time Mercury goes retrograde three or four times a year, it makes people think that they're slowly losing their minds. But the truth of it is, it's a temporary pattern. So now let's move forward and move forward, I believe, around the 1st uh, or 31st of May. And uh, so now we've got this forward movement again, which I'm sure all of you are feeling, and that's a good thing. So um, I also want to mention my next radio show will be on the 9th, and that is my interview show. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to do an hour-long show on the 9th. I'm interviewing uh, Rochelle Sparrow who's a psychic trans channel, an event speaker, an author, media personality. Uh, she's a featured channel for Shirley MacLaine. And I will also have a second guest on that show, Courtney Kane. And Courtney is a psychic artist and does portraits of people's energy on air. Uh, Rochelle channels healing information where Courtney paints. And then they uh, present healing psychic information based on the painting, which then they could display through the webcam Yahoo Instant Messenger. Very interesting stuff. I'm going to interview both of them next week. So tune in, and after I talk with them for about 10 or 15 minutes, I'm going to open the uh, phone lines and give you an opportunity to ask questions of Rochelle or, or Courtney, and probably even, I'm guessing, get a little free little mini reading from them. Um, I will kind of step back and let them do that, uh, their thing. So I'm sure you'll get uh, some great information from both of them. So I'm looking forward to having them on the show. Uh, okay, so that said, we're down to our last two minutes here. Uh, if you're interested uh, in uh, getting my monthly column, uh, Snake Oil, again, it's a free service. You can email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com or at VenturaWords at Smack.com. Um, you also, if you want information on any of my books, 
or private sessions, um, you can go to my website, which is web.mac.com slash Ventura Words. Web.mac.com slash Ventura Words. You can go to my website, and there's information there. Uh, you can get a copy uh, directly through me of my first book, Dirty Little Secrets, or you can order it through Amazon. Uh, again, under the title of Jim Ventura, it's an awesome book. Check my book out. Uh, you will be highly entertained. Um, and I have a second book popping out uh, probably this fall, this winter, which will be Snake Oil uh, Volume 1. So again, my name is Jim Ventura. I'm here twice a month on uh, Snake Oil Radio here at Blog Talk Radio. Uh, if you've got questions, uh, comments, uh, or you want to get in touch with me to get on my mailing list, feel free to do so, or to contact me about private appointments. I do do phone consultations. Not everyone's here in Phoenix. So uh, I thank you for tuning in today. I remind everybody that when you can kind of perceive the crazy people in your life as your sacred clowns, your hey hocus your wacky neighbors, you're going to have an easier time of it because uh, we won't fight so much some of the strange and difficult characters that come into our lives. Realize they mirror back parts of ourselves, both the good and the bad, and the less we resist it, the more we can really get in touch with why they're there and what they have to say and what they have to teach us. So wishing everyone a great day, a great month, and we'll catch up with you next week. Peace.